millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, many of you are listening to us, particularly in the United States, in the Washington, D.C. area. You can listen on FM 105.5, other magic numbers there. But you can listen all across the United States from sea to shining sea on AM. You can listen across the entire globe on SputnikNews.com. But if you are one of the, wait for it, 700,000 people who watched as well as listened to the show last week, uh, then here's what I'm asking you to do. If you are watching on Facebook, Mr. Al G. Rhythm is still out to stop us. So I need you to share it now with every person on your contact list, every friend you have on Facebook. Tell them that you are now listening to the mother of all talk shows watching the mother of all talk shows. You can do that on my own Facebook page, on RT's multiple Facebook pages, and on my YouTube channel and RT's multiple YouTube channels. You can do it as an increasing number of you are, another record number last week, on your phone, on Twitter. You can watch uh, on Instagram. My good wife is here, so we're back on Instagram. You can watch on Twitch, you can watch on uh, Telegram, all kinds of platforms. But they all add up to this simple fact, that we are the biggest political show in media in the world. Our podcast again increased by 25% last week, and the number of countries that we were downloaded from went up from 64 to 72. Countries including China, Croatia, Thailand, Brazil, Cyprus, and Argentina, and many, many more. I'll tell you later how you can download the podcast. But just know this, our podcast numbers are higher than The Guardian, higher than Sky, higher than Nigel Farage on GB News, higher than virtually any other political podcast anywhere to be found in the world. Just think about that. And we do it all from this little shoebox on a very, very slim budget. I hope you're listening in Moscow. We bring forth magic from this studio for one simple reason, that we speak the unvarnished truth. It's our truth, to be sure. Other varieties of the truth are available, and you can get them on the BBC. 
You can get them on ITV. You can get them on MSNBC or CNN. But we believe this is the closest to the unvarnished truth that you're going to get. And we're counterintuitive. This is not a one-note opera. We are unpredictable in our take on things. You might, for example, have expected me to rally to the side of President Joe Biden because my arch enemy, Tony Blair, today called him an imbecile. Now, it's not every day uh, that the former Prime Minister of Britain calls the current President of the United States an imbecile, but I'm not going to rally to Joe Biden because he is an imbecile, almost clinically imbecilic. I've been saying this to you for months, long before he was elected. You would not send Joe Biden out for a loaf of bread to the shops, and yet he's sitting with his finger on the nuclear trigger. He's making decisions of great moment, not just to the United States, but to the world, as we have seen over the last 10 days and the fall of Kabul and the return to power of the Taliban. Tony Blair was right. There are not many times you've heard me say that. But I'll tell you something that he didn't say, is that it was Tony Blair and George W. Bush that made this mess in the first place. And to call the guy who tried to end it the imbecile is to mistake your far greater act of madness, a criminal act of madness, to go invading and occupying these countries in the first place. Do I have to sketch for you the mountain of dead people for whom Tony Blair and George W. Bush are responsible? Do you know that you could not possibly pile all the dead bodies on top of each other and see the summit from any angle anywhere in the world? You'd need to be in space to see the mountain of dead people for whom these murderers are responsible. Shall I count them? Shall I count the millions of dead people that Blair and Bush have killed or caused to be killed? It would take the whole show, it would take the whole night, the whole day, the whole week, the whole month, the whole year to count them all. This is serious, serious business. Tony Blair should be on trial for war crimes, for crimes against humanity. And yet he just clicks his fingers and the entire British media gathers at his feet to hear him call somebody else an imbecile. Do you feel me? Do you see where I'm coming from here? Bush and Blair are the architects of a series of cataclysms around the entire globe. 
and they're complaining that in Afghanistan, at least it's coming to an end. Of course, Biden did it backside for elbow. You don't withdraw your forces until you've airlifted all your nationals from the scene of your crimes. That's obvious. You've got tens of thousands of Americans stranded now in Kabul with the US having to fly back in forces they'd already flowed out in order to secure the perimeter and not very well. 10 people have been shot dead in that airport in the last 10 days. Joe Biden thought there were none. People have fallen from the wheel carriage of American aircraft taking off. People are handing over their babies over barbed wire fences. Saigon? No Saigon here. Nothing to see here. It is an absolute catastrophe how it has been handled and it's not over yet. If the United States does not leave by 9-11, the Taliban will start firing at them and they're surrounded by thousands of people or Americans who are not at the airport yet will be seized as hostages for negotiation with the superpowers by these ragged-assed, carbine-toting, bicycle-going Taliban. Now, Tony Blair found them very difficult to stomach today. He's worried, you see, about the plight of women and children in Afghanistan. Not so worried that he didn't blow the heads of thousands of women and children in Iraq, in Afghanistan, by his exhortation in Libya, in Yemen, in Syria. He has been responsible for the murder of untold hundreds of thousands of women and children, but he's very worried that some of the girls going to school in Afghanistan might not now be able to continue their education. Tony Blair works for Saudi Arabia. Has he ever raised his voice about the situation of women in Saudi Arabia? Never. How could he? He's on the payroll. My anger and contempt for these people, as you can tell, is bottomless. But that doesn't mean I'm with Joe Biden. The United States and its satrapies, like Britain, France, the Netherlands, and so on, have withdrawn from Afghanistan because they lost a war. No matter what firepower they were able to put on the battlefield, or more particularly to rain down from the skies, they could not defeat these ragged-assed Taliban. And so they left.
because even the United States cannot go on fighting a war for 20 years and then another 20 years. That stuff belongs in Orwellian fiction. We have always been at war with Afghanistan. But because I recognize the fact that the Taliban are now the power in Afghanistan, able to summon Hamid Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah to their council and give them jobs to put some lipstick on the face of the new Taliban administration doesn't mean as some idiots who can only think in binary seem to think that I am somehow with the Taliban. Don't you dare try and put the Taliban on me. I was opposing the Taliban and their fathers and their uncles when Britain and the United States were stuffing guns and money and propaganda support down their throat. News at 10 in England was a nightly panegyric to the obscurantist Mujahideen. Every night, Sandy Gall and his confreres told us about these freedom fighters. They were never fighting for freedom. Actually, the only freedom that ever existed in Afghanistan was in the short period of the government that Britain and the United States expended blood and treasure in oceanic proportions to ensure that they destroyed. You feel me? I'm not with the Taliban. I'll never be with these obscurantists. I was with progress. President Najibullah was a friend of mine. The fathers of the Taliban hanged him from a lamppost, cut his penis off and stuffed it in his mouth. Don't talk to me about responsibility for the triumph of these obscurantists in Afghanistan. As a matter of fact, Britain and the United States did everything that they could to ensure that the very same obscurantists came to power in Libya and they did everything that they could to try and visit the same bloody, grisly fate on the people of Syria. These savages are us. They would never have existed but for us. We conjured them forth like demons. Demons. Satanic demons. We conjured them forth. We rubbed the lamp in order to fulfill the principle that my enemy's enemy is my friend. They brought forth these monsters and now they ask us to believe that they're crying in their chinwa at the fact that some girls now won't get to school at the same time as their murdering girls in the Yemen 
with the same weapons, wielded by the same savages in power in Saudi Arabia. Pass the sick bag, Alice. We'll be talking about other things too. We'll be talking about the big speech being given right now by Donald Trump. After all, it's a zero-sum game, isn't it? There's only two cheeks to the US political ass. It's either Biden or Trump, isn't it? That's what you told us. Well, Trump may very well be on his way back as President Biden surely is on his way out. We'll be looking at the trials of R. Kelly, a troubadour of note, one of the most powerful R&B vocalists of all time, now on trial yet again in the United States of America. We'll be talking about the SNP Green Coalition, a hydra-headed monster that's now come to power in Edinburgh. We'll be talking to one of Mr. Blair's former ministers about that. If he's listened to this monologue, maybe he won't show up. Now, here's my first poll. Should President Biden A, resign, B, stay, C, convalesce in a senior home? I suppose with the possibility of coming back, though, if he was in a senior home convalescing, I wouldn't let Kamala Harris come to visit me if I were him, and certainly not to push me in my wheelchair anywhere near a big set of steps, still less the edge of a cliff. So you can vote now. Uh, should President Biden A, resign, B, stay, C, convalesce in a senior home? You can vote on my Twitter feed. Derek Malcolm says the passage of time has proven George to be correct over the imperialist ideology of both the US and the UK. Thank you, Derek. On the poll, Kev says it doesn't matter what he does, considering whoever else comes in will still be dictated by the same power elite. And Vob, V-O-B, says who cares? There's no way he's making the decisions anyway. He barely knows what day of the week it is. And Alfred says, Besides the Afghanistan thing, he's done all right. <laughs> uh, the captain of the Titanic, he sailed so well up until the iceberg. Uh, if, he goes, uh, if he goes full woke, then all you have to do is look at Scotland and see what will happen. Big G Haywood says we should stop calling these types of men war criminals and call them what they really are mass murderers. Maybe if we describe them correctly, then folks might get it. And Paul Kowalski says, if the US can't defeat the Taliban, what chance would they have against Russia or China? Do you know, Paul, this uh, occurs to me, uh, I was going to say daily, but more like hourly. Uh, they could not defeat ragged-ass men with small weapons conveying themselves around on bicycles. And yet they go on threatening and demanding uh, of other people 
much more able to stand up to them. Iran was the one I was thinking of most obviously. Someone asked me if this debacle made war on Iran more or less likely. And of course, the answer is less likely. Iran is a modern, powerful adversary with tens, scores of thousands of missiles that it can hit American and other Western assets and satrapies in the area. Of course, war with Iran is impossible. If you can't defeat the Taliban, who are you to threaten Iran? And on the subject of Russia and China, a multiply nuclear armed superpower with supersonic weaponry that leaves Western weaponry in the shade. Forget about it. Forget about it. And uh, Keel Jones says, while the West is wringing its hands, concern trolling, the Taliban and the Afghani government are moving forward alliances with China and Russia. Let's hear from Matthew in Sunderland. I didn't get on well with Kieran in Sunderland last week. I made him an internet sensation. Let's see how we get on with Matthew. Matthew, welcome. Hello, mate. You all right? And yeah, I heard him last week as well. What yeah. A, a bit too emotional, I would say. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he was just having yeah. a bad night. Anyway, go ahead, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, mate, I'm, I'm basically just ringing up because um, I started actually watching... Um, it was on YouTube, actually, I watched a video of you. It's, it's actually in relation to this as well. It was in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Sitting you, like, watching, um, seeing you roast them two on there. That was absolutely amazing to watch. Um, Thank you. And as I say, although we disagree on things like communism and everything like that, I still think it's good to get a, like, the different side of things. What do you mean and, you disagree on things like communism? I'm not a communist. I thought you were a communist. I'm not now, nor have I ever been a communist. Never. Well... Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. But, uh, no, but as I say, I do respect you for that, and it is good to get a, a different side of opinion. But um, like when it comes to things like, uh, I would say like, hello, can you hear us? Yeah, the whole hello. world's listening. My good, we've lost them. How often is this a Sunderland issue? The last guy disappeared from Sunderland too. C-Drive 300 says, if you want to promote women's rights, don't drop bombs on them. They will greatly appreciate it. How perfectly, perfectly, concisely expressed. And Robert Docker says, British soldiers holding Afghan babies, PR stunt to manufacture consent, and they fall for it every time. And Frank Hayes says, watch the Killing Kelly video. Thanks for the education, George. Well worth watching. We'll speak about that later uh, because it's uh, doing a roaring trade on DVD now. Okay, here's my uh, 740 question. In this week, in 1942, the six-month-long Battle of Stalingrad began when 600 Luftwaffe planes bombed the city. How many Soviet military casualties were there in the battle of Stalingrad. A, 1.1 million, B, 60,000, C, 
250,000. Answer after the break. Sputnik. We are above all the latest developments and we don't take any sides. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. Want to know how international fishes fit into local ones and how local issues fit into international ones with the historical context to tie them together? Well, we're bringing it to you all by any means necessary. Tune in weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear me, Jackie Lukeman, alongside my co-host, Sean Blackman. By any means necessary, your guide to connecting the social, political, and economic movements shaping the world around us. You're listening to Radio Sputnik. talk shows join our faculty of legends contributors and callers everyone is welcome and the answer of course is that the soviet military casualties in the battle of stalingrad in one battle were 1.1 million however the victory of the red army at stalingrad marked the beginning of the end for hitler fascism uh, now, uh, let me take a call, I think, Mr. Khan in West Yorkshire. Mr. Khan, welcome. Hello, Mr. Gallagher. Yes, sir. Welcome to the show. What would you like to say? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Welcome. And I'd just like to, like to just carry on with the conversation that you're carrying on, uh, you're taking today, sir, shall we say? Yeah, go ahead. And in regards to Mr. Blair, uh, the, the great country we live in, and the influences we follow. Go on. So first of all, like you say, Mr. Blair is a war criminal. This country should stand up in some shape or form. It's uh, the leaders, all the people that you've got who uh, so who back up all the feminists, who back up every part of society, but cannot take a former prime minister, like you said, who's, who's done numerous things that should not be done by a, a prime minister or a president of any country. So maybe it's upon our own country to take someone... Like well, that, 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 that's a very good point, Mr. Khan, that you get the government you deserve, or at least the one you vote for, uh, in a democracy. So uh, that's why uh, all of us, whether we opposed it or not, uh, cannot avoid responsibility uh, for the crimes that were committed by the government we elected. Uh, and uh, it's not like Britain's uh, dictatorship with a self-appointed leader Tony Blair was elected and elected and elected. Quite true. That's why we. I'm not, that's I'm not going to disagree with you. That's why we all but have can a I state duty. To you yeah, go on. That all three of our major parties. Yeah. And you know, sir, because you read all the manifestos. 
Yeah. They're virtually linked. So yes. if you're saying, oh, a dictator comes from, let's say, Cuba, because we don't like Cubans, do we? I do, but we'll, no, yeah, uh, we'll discuss that on me another night. Do, me, <laughs> me and you do, but they don't. Or Venezuelans. Or Argentinians. They do. No, Argentina. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but Argentina's got an elected government. But I know no, what no, you're saying. saying. No, sir. I'm saying to you that our three parties, yes, under yeah. their manifesto, they might be called Labour, they might be called Liberal Democrats, but underneath, yeah. they're all the same one no, thing. That is the that is our fundamental problem. And uh, then the people if, like you, if, if our backside could have three cheeks. Uh, our backside in Parliament would be Labour, Tory, Liberal Democrat. Uh, the Liberal Democrats opposed the war on Iraq, uh, but they supported it once it started. Uh, they did not oppose the war on Afghanistan. They supported it uh, from the beginning. The Tories were egging Tony Blair on into both wars. Uh, their only complaint was uh, that he wasn't making war fast enough or bad enough. Uh, so you're right, this is our problem. And the same problem exists in the United States, as we're now seeing the uh, governments of the Democrats and the Republicans uh, are equally responsible. In fact, the Democrats are worse. They have taken America into even more wars than the Republicans have. Uh, so this is our problem, you're right. You're identifying the heart of the problem. Uh, go yes. ahead, Richard. Hello, George. Uh, thank, you. thank you very much indeed uh, for sending me my supply of a video of, uh, of, of killing of Kelly. Uh, lots of people are watching it and lots of people want it. And I think it should be distributed yes. throughout the world. Yes, I, I, I think it's the, best, uh, it's the best thing I've done. Uh, it's uh, being critically received wonderfully. Uh, I don't think a single person anywhere has said other than what you've just said. Uh, and I do need to sell them, uh, otherwise I'd put, them, put it out free, but I, I've got to get the money back that I've spent on it. Can I talk about Tony Blair being on the TV today? Yes, he was on every TV from, uh, from uh, you know, Land's End to John O'Groats. Go ahead. Yes, of course. But what, 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 what he's saying or what he's doing, he started the war off in Iraq, which led to the war in Afghanistan. He told the generals not to argue and that we were going to Afghanistan without consulting parliament. And then he's coming up today. He's actually... Uh, uh, trying to start a, a war off, in my opinion, with Iran. I yes, mean, I think uh, he, he hasn't lost his taste for war. Of course, he's made a very considerable fortune out of these wars, uh, directly uh, and indirectly. Uh, he's become a vastly wealthy man. Uh, he's worth more than 100 million pounds with a vast property empire. Uh, he's one of these hard-faced men that has done well out of the war. So he does want more wars, Richard. The question yes, is, I are we stupid enough to follow him into another one? 
I wouldn't have thought so, but he's so devious in everything that he does, and he comes he comes in playing the triangular politics and agreeing with everybody, and yeah. he's advocating another war while he's talking about, you know, uh, he didn't mention the poor people of uh, Afghanistan today. It was a case of just criticizing Biden. And I, I think that's very strange. Well, not so strange. He's got an agenda. Uh, he's devious, all right. He's uh, Satan made flesh, in my view. Uh, Richard, thanks uh, for that call. Uh, I've got to go to my next guest now. Slight delay in having done so. Uh, Keith Best is a former conservative MP and former chief executive of the Immigration Advisory Service because the story of Afghan refugees from all of this is going to dominate uh, the rest of this year and maybe many years to come. And he joins me now. Keith, thank you, uh, as always, uh, for coming on the show. Uh, let's, start, pleasure, uh, let's start with the uh, responsibility that we have uh, for these refugees. There's millions of them uh, already in Pakistan, in Iran, uh, not so much here in Britain, and yet we were one of the uh, invading countries uh, that set the whole ball rolling. Uh, at the same time, Britain can't really take unlimited refugees. We've got enough problems of our own. How do we square that circle, Keith? Well, first of all, uh, we are the fifth or possibly the sixth largest economy in the world. The idea that we cannot accommodate a few thousand refugees is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at Lebanon, uh, you look at uh, uh, Jordan, countries like that that have absorbed, I mean, Jordan has over a million uh, Syrian refugees. And because we've consistently, through both political main parties, had a rather restrictive immigration policy in the belief that that is the will of the British people, we've always come rather late to the party in terms of actually repatriating people who are genuinely fleeing from persecution. We were late to the party with Syria uh, after Sweden took large numbers of Syrian refugees. We finally started taking a few hundred and admittedly, that has now accelerated. But Afghanistan is different because here, as you were intimating a moment ago, we have a direct responsibility. The people who are fleeing from the Taliban are those who actively assisted the British forces on the ground as either interpreters or communicators or in some other bureaucratic way were actually assisting British troops and some of those British troops uh, are now actually members of parliament. People like Tom Tugendhat and Dan Jarvis actually served in Afghanistan and they are speaking up for them quite rightly. And we have a, not just a moral obligation, but we have a real obligation if we are to hold our head up high in the world in future to actually say that we are not going to abandon those people who actually volunteered to serve with us and to help us try to defeat the Taliban. Well, uh, of course, uh, no one with any uh, moral conscience uh, would dispute uh, that people who were working for the British occupation of Afghanistan uh, should be left in the 
to the tender mercies of the Taliban, who are not killing them yet, but uh, may very well kill them uh, when the television cameras have gone away. Uh, of that, there is uh, no real doubt. Uh, only I can't imagine what kind of person would say uh, that uh, someone that worked for the British occupation of Afghanistan should be left now uh, that we have uh, gone. Can you identify a number uh, of that kind of refugee? No, it's very difficult, but they certainly number in the thousands. Um, uh, I, I can't put an actual uh, finite figure on that because, of course, people working with the administration, which were assisted by British and American forces, will be tarred with the same brush as having been there helping what to the Taliban will be regarded as the occupiers of Afghanistan. Uh, so they are in as much danger as the ones who were actively working as interpreters on patrol with British forces going into the villages in mm. Afghanistan. Um, but I think we, we, each case needs to be looked at on its merits, and it needs to be looked at sympathetically, not through a massive bureaucracy of requiring paperwork and things like this. And Some of these people who worked uh, as interpreters, for example, were dismissed for one reason or another. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter to the Taliban. If they worked for the British forces, whether with a good conduct or whether having been dismissed for whatever reason, they are still ones who will be regarded as being collaborators with the British forces and will therefore be in danger. Now, I, I can only hope that the, uh, the media machine that the Taliban have launched about saying we're not, we're not the same as we were in the 1990s and that women will still be able to be educated and go to work and things like this, uh, we, we can hope that that may have some resonance of fact to it. But the, the sting in the tail, of course, is they always add the phrase uh, under Sharia law. And unfortunately, uh, Sharia law is what you can make of it. Uh, different people, different imams will interpret Sharia law in very different ways. So th th there is still a massive danger there. Yeah, but, but we, we, day, we can't take everyone, Keith. Uh, no, know. we can't. But what we can do, uh, George, is to lead the way. I mean, I'm old enough to remember having been involved with the Vietnamese refugees over 30, 40 years ago. Um, and what happened there was when Hong Kong was faced with this massive influx of Vietnamese refugees and frankly couldn't cope and they were putting them into both open and closed centres, there was a Geneva Convention. There was a, a meeting in Geneva in which um, most of the countries of the world agreed to take a certain quota. Now, what Britain should be doing now is frankly leading the initiative in saying, look, Britain can't take all of these people, but they need to have a safe home where they can go, hopefully at some stage, to be able to return to Afghanistan. Well, that is a key point. go back to their home yeah, origin. That but is a key point. we need to lead that initiative. We'll, we'll, we'll have to discuss that another time, but it is a key point for me when refugees go back. You see, for me, uh, there is now no case for Syrian refugees not to go back to Syria. Uh, against all of our uh, best intentions to destroy the government in Damascus, it prevailed and it is safe.
to go back now to most of Syria. I'll be right back after this. You know, and it's a very, thank you for, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your show, Gigi. Great, great debate. Great. And I'm Scottish. I'm very passionate about what's happening there, you know. I had a great mom. She was Scottish, Mary McLeod. She taught me well. She taught me well at everything, including golf. I love Scotland, and I love the Scottish food. It's great food. I said to Melania, you know, haggis. Look at that. What's more than more Scottish than that? Me. I am that haggis. She said, what, thin-skinned and full of crap? Blimey, that poll's going well. Should President Biden, A, resign 40%, B, stay 11%, C, coalesce, convalesce, sorry, convalesce in a senior home. That's what they call them in the United States, 49%. That's the kind people that voted for that option. 49 and 40 uh, added together, however, indicate that 89% of a truly massive number of thousands of you uh, think that Joe Biden uh, needs to go one way or another. So you can vote for the next hour or so on my Twitter feed. If you want to call the show, here are the phone numbers. And it's completely free, remember, whether you're in the UK or in the United States. If you're in the UK, the number is 08081 That's 08081 It's equally free from the United States. Toll free, they call it. It's plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four. Now, uh, R. Kelly once believed that he could fly, and I kind of uh, believed it too. Uh, he was, maybe is, I don't know, a truly wonderful singer. Uh, and when he started uh, to become embroiled in ever more sordid cases, I heard him say uh, that this is a lynching. And, of course, in my heart, I, I wanted it to be true uh, that he was innocent of the things uh, that they were saying about him. But he's now back on trial uh, for a series of offenses, uh, which are truly horrifying, and for which no amount of affection for his voice, his songs, I can possibly absolve him. Uh, one man, uh, John Seidel, uh, is a federal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times who's been following this case, uh, is up next. And uh, I'm very grateful to him for that. John, thanks uh, very much for uh, joining us. I'm right, Amantai, that this uh, series of charges that he's now facing in the court could scarcely be more sordid than serious, could they? No, you're you're right. It uh, it spans decades and uh, includes uh, allegations of of violence and um, various kinds of sexual abuse. You're you're absolutely right. Against uh, girls, and I see now one boy in the uh, indictment. Uh, how has the beginning of the trial? gone 
Well, um, I should point out that I've been following it from Chicago. The trial has been taking place in New York, but um, so far it's been what has been promised really on both sides. Um, prosecutors uh, in their opening statements uh, told the jury about uh, all of the allegations that we've all been following for years. And R. Kelly's defense attorneys came out and gave the kind of defense that we've absolutely been expecting, that these are groupies, that these were um, accusers who are really just out to make money, and that jurors are going to have to sort through a mess of lies. Um, one, probably the most significant development uh, in the trial so far, again, not unexpected, despite the decades of allegations against R. Kelly, for the first time, a victim has testified against him in a criminal hearing. Um, Johanna Pace took the stand this week, and, and she told the jurors her story, and she was also cross-examined by the defense. Um, but even though this is the second trial, this is the, the very first time uh, an accuser has taken the stand. And how uh, powerful was that uh, witness's testimony? I, I mean, it seemed uh, it seemed pretty powerful, incredible. I, the uh, although the defense attorneys, uh, I'm sure, see it differently, and they definitely worked to poke holes in her story, point out inconsistent statements, and and um, accuse her of various various schemes for profit. I think we're at a point so far in the trial, it's still early and it's it's hard to see who's who's really taking the lead here. Um, but certainly it's powerful stuff on both sides. Uh, he pleads uh, not guilty, of course, and he's entitled to the presumption of innocence. Obviously, the longer these allegations have been around and the more people who've been joining them uh, adds to the seriousness of his situation. I mean, he'd be in prison for the rest of his life, quite likely, John, if he were convicted on all these counts, wouldn't he? I think that's very likely the case. And the thing that I would also point out is that this is not the end of R. Kelly's legal jeopardy. Even if he were to be acquitted across the board in this trial, he also faces prosecution in a separate indictment in Chicago, which is the, the case that I've been uh, most responsible for. Uh, there's also a separate state court prosecution also in Chicago, and he also faces charges in Minnesota. So um, all those combined, yes, I agree. It, it seems um, very unlikely that he will get to walk free again if convicted across the board. Of course, we're not there yet. But, I mean, he couldn't be in more serious legal peril right now. Uh, for the first time, it seems that some of his associates have begun to jump ship uh, because perhaps uh, for deliberate purposes, uh, the charges this time don't just, uh, don't just seek to convict him. Uh, this conspiracy uh, allegation, which alleges that people who are around him in his coterie uh, working for him, uh, are also now uh, going to be on trial, which has had the predictable effect of making some of them cut a deal and jump ship. What can you tell us about that? Uh, well, certainly, um, you're right. Uh, I think there are people who are very worried about how this is going to play out, people around R. Kelly. R. Kelly is the only defendant in this particular case that's gone to trial. Uh, this week in New York. There are other cases in New York that involve people who uh, allegedly tried to protect or interfere with the investigation. 
But there are other defendants in the Chicago case. Uh, he, he, there are two uh, former R. Kelly employees who are charged with obstructing the trial that took place back in 2008. Um, so you're right. This isn't just about R. Kelly. This is about the people around him. And the racketeering case in New York absolutely does allege that his whole, the whole R. Kelly enterprise, the, the, the musical enterprise that was R. Kelly was designed to bring him uh, women and girls for illegal sex and to help him make child pornography. So it, it is just an all-encompassing indictment. A very serious one, too. Uh, is there anyone staying loyal to Kelly? What about his fan base? What about the African-American community? Does the, uh, the words that he used, that this was a lynching, uh, have any traction? Absolutely. And I, 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 any time that I write about R. Kelly, I absolutely hear from his supporters. They are there. They, are, they stand by him. They stand strong. Uh, I believe they have been there outside the courthouse in Brooklyn. Um, and um, as I mentioned, there were people who had, are facing criminal charges for trying to help him. Um, so absolutely, he, there, there is still support for him out there. And I think there's also um, maybe another segment of the community that continues to struggle with um, who R. Kelly is to them, uh, kind of as you were describing, uh, given everything that has uh, happened and all the allegations against him. The, uh, I presume, certainly the case here, nobody plays his music on the radio anymore. Uh, some of the sites uh, from which you buy music have effectively wiped him off the map. He's been airbrushed out of uh, musical history, becoming a kind of uh, non-person in the entertainment world. Is that the same over uh, the, the pond also? I think that's uh, uh, certainly true in some cases, though I think he remains uh, available through some streaming services, I believe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, R. Kelly is definitely part of the larger conversation we've been having about um, reconciling music that people love. You know, I grew up in an era where R. Kelly's music was omnipresent. You know, it was just part of, um, you know, my, my, my youth in the time that I grew up in. And so looking back, how do we reconcile what that music means with the person and the allegations. Certainly, that's been a big part of the conversation we've been having here. Um, yeah. But he's, he's still out there. You can hear him. And he's not, he's not the, I mean, it's the same with Michael Jackson here. What I'm trying to say is there are, uh, is this a kind of Michael Jackson uh, part two? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I think about Michael Jackson, you know, what ha happened with Michael Jackson in regard to R. Kelly a lot. I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, we, we never, there were lots of accusations against Michael Jackson, but no conviction. We're not at a conviction yet with R. Kelly. Um, but yeah, that said, I hear Michael Jackson a lot more than I hear R. Kelly. I mean, that's just my anecdotal experience, but uh, I feel like it's more likely to hear Michael Jackson these days than R. Kelly. So what's the timetable now, uh, if you could, John, just finally? Um, how long will this case in New York run? And when will these consecutive uh, cases in Chicago and Minnesota, when will they begin? Sure. Um, well, we don't have a real answer to your second question yet. The, the trial in New York is supposed to last about four or five weeks. I think they were discussing how it was going to play into the month of September. Um, so maybe mid to late September, we might get a verdict in this case. Uh, I know the judge in Chicago is watching what's going on in Brooklyn, keeping tabs on it. And I, I believe somewhere in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a hearing to discuss what to do with the Chicago case. I think what happens in Brooklyn is really going to give guidance to what happens in the rest of these prosecutions. Uh, so we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm very grateful to you, John, and we'll come back to you uh, as the trial uh, unfolds with your permission. Thanks very much sure. indeed for enlightening us on the trials, uh, plural, uh, of R. Kelly. I've got so much uh, social media, I really need to uh, read some of it. Paul says, those that say we should take more refugees uh, live in 100% white rural areas. And what they mean is put them in urban areas among the ordinary working class people. And Mick says these people are deranged. So we take asylum seekers from the very country we went to stop them blowing us up. Wokes will say they're not all terrorists. So we've got to take a punt on it. We've wrecked their country, but they'll forgive us. Hell men, the lot of us. But we, the hardworking taxpayers, never wrecked their country. But we will hold the baby when it literally blows up in our faces, not the ones who caused it, based on utter lies, beginning with the lies about Saddam Hussein, who we were told had weapons of mass destruction. And Ian Daniel says, between when the Russians left and the Taliban came was a golden age for Afghanistan. I'm sorry, Ian, but that is actually unhinged. Uh, David Martin says, the left in the UK are now Taliberals. And Stephen and Vin says, I think Rory Stewart would make a good guest for you to debate the Afghan situation with a man experienced and knowledgeable on the country, past and present. Well, if you mean he was one of the men that invaded and destroyed it, and you want to call that experience, Maybe so. And uh, someone says it wasn't about defeating anyone. It was about milking that country dry. And Azem Dwi says, Confucius said, it's a very important word for me, Confucius, for reasons which those close to me know. Confucius said, division is competition. Competition in a finite world is conflict. Let's hear from Ian in London, in Hounslow, on Afghanistan. Go ahead, Ian. Hello, George. 
Hi. I was watching your um, interview with Keith Best mm. uh, on uh, housing and looking after the Afghan refugees and those who work for the forces in Afghanistan. Yeah. But we have a homelessness problem here already. Mm -hmm. We have 11,000 people sleeping rough in London according to big issue. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people in temporary accommodation, waiting lists, living with friends and family, sofa surfing. Uh, I should imagine they're just going to be pushed off the housing list and spend an eternity without a roof over their head. So the um, costs of this ludicrous military adventure uh, can be paid for by them. Yes, uh, all of those are good points, uh, but uh, what should we do in lieu? Uh, I presume you're not saying we should leave them in Afghanistan to get their throats cut. Well, how about the MOD paying to house them? It was their game. What about British Airways, British Aerospace and Plessy? Get them to pay. Good and point. get Tony Blair to pay for Avi's fortune. Even better point. Absolutely, you're right. Uh, the military-industrial complex uh, profited mightily from 20 years of war in Afghanistan. A windfall profits tax on them to help uh, uh, resettle refugees is uh, a very, a very, very clever piece of lateral thinking, Ian. Let's make it a campaign. I feel a campaign has just been born. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Ian Daniel says between, no, David Martin says no. Stephen and Vin, <laughs> Azem Dwee, no. Ernest says, for a history lesson, watch Charlie Wilson's war. The Taliban were called freedom fighters then. Well, Ernest, uh, at the end of, I think it is Rocky three, not Rocky, Rambo three, there is uh, an actual inscription dedicated to uh, the heroic freedom fighters of Afghanistan. This is a point I made in my speeches back in 2001 in Parliament. When I was opposing these people, you were giving them money and guns and calling them freedom fighters. You were making inscriptions to them at the end of Hollywood movies. News at 10 was, was proselytizing for them. Every single night on News at 10, they had exclusive footage. They were the, they were the house journal of the fathers of the Taliban, whom we now hear and see excoriated by exactly, exactly the same journals and news bulletins that hailed them as the heirs to George Washington, as the New York Times called Osama bin Laden. That's what they called him, a picture of Osama bin Laden, calling him one of the heirs of George Washington. You see, there's no getting away from this. I'm one of those who says that we have to just make the best of it now. 
We have to accept that these people have won. We have to try and diplomatically keep them within certain parameters, the most important of which is that ISIS and Al-Qaeda are never allowed to use Afghanistan as a base uh, to attack other people elsewhere. But that doesn't mean I'm taking any responsibility for these people at all. That responsibility belongs fairly and squarely with the governments of Britain and the United States, particularly the United States, but Britain too. Now, as the Irishman famously said when asked the road and the miles to Dublin, oh, I wouldn't have started from here. I could rely on that position easily. I wouldn't have started from here. But because I live in the real world, I have to try to project ways in which we can get ourselves out of the situation that these people now put us in. Now, Ian was absolutely right about the working class in Britain is already up against it and over the next year or two will be in danger of being overwhelmed by the new economic circumstances post-pandemic which our people will face. And they cannot accept tens, scores of thousands of Afghans arriving in Britain and going straight to the front of the queue for the insufficient housing that is there. Straight to the front of the doctor's queue, straight to the front of the school entrance queue. They will not accept it. So we have to, as Ian did, come up, think laterally, with other solutions, other demands. We have a responsibility uh, to take our fair share of refugees. We are not taking anything like our fair share of refugees. Countries much poorer than us take 10, 50, a hundred, a thousand times more refugees than us. And we were one of the war parties that caused the flow of refugees. And it was our government that we elected, a Labour government that we elected, which did it. There's no getting away from that. I'm sorry, I wish there was. There's no getting away from that. But a refugee has to be a person with a well-founded fear of persecution. You can't become a refugee just because you're an Afghan. You have to be able to prove that you personally have a well-founded fear of persecution. Otherwise, half the world would emigrate to richer countries. I would if I was them, wouldn't you? We can't have that. The world will turn over. Half the world wants to emigrate to rich, white, 
European countries. Nobody wants to emigrate to Bangladesh. Don't be silly. We have to control immigration. Otherwise, that which made us rich, that which made us a great place to live, will be destroyed. There's a difference between immigration and asylum seeking. It's important to remember it. It's important to remember it on both sides of that argument. I'm not arguing any one side of it. I'm arguing both sides of it. The working class cannot be made to pay for the crimes of our rulers and the military industrial complex. But neither can we leave people who are working for the British army occupation of Afghanistan. I see Keith didn't seem to like that word, but that's exactly legally what it was. It was an occupation. And those that worked for the British occupation, what are you going to do? Leave them to the firing squads? What kind of morality would that be? And why would anybody in the future ever work for you again? if that's the kind of country uh, that you turned out to be. If you're in the United Kingdom, it's 0808196552. If you're in the United States, it's plus one, 844-944-3344. Let me hear from you. I was just listening to your previous callers about the manufacturing of consent. Yeah. People are powerless. They're drowning in a cocktail of confusion and they just don't know what to do and they know no one's speaking up for them. It's bristling out there amongst the white English working class. They feel that Labour hates them and they hate Labour back. I, I think the, the idea of this capitalism thing that we, we have limited respect for, which is linked with freedom compared to like a, a strict socialist, um, people going on to welfare and, and not being able to work. And I, I feel like that almost the, the world, this great reset and build back better and all these key words that seem to come out with team um, country leaders all over the world, it seems to me to be a little bit worrying. Now, uh, you shouldn't be any more worried than you were before. But you shouldn't be any less worried than you were before, either. If you're a lawyer, which unfortunately, what's his name? Keir Starmer is. Um, he's spending all of his time being right about everything. You know, he can't appeal to every community. It's not good enough. It really isn't good enough. You know, there were, there were four other candidates and they were all better than him. Why has the Labour Party failed so miserably? I mean... Well, the Labour Party has fallen out of love uh, with the British people, and the British people have reciprocated. Yeah, but don't you think Labour had some part of playing that, though, with the whole yeah. classism thing? I mean, like, you're supposed to be old Labour, like, you went against new Labour, in the commas. Uh -huh. Do you think it's on people like you to promote actual... Well, Labour I do. Policies or no, whatever. why should it's I... What do I owe the Labour Party, Dan? Labour Party or whatever. I think the Labour Party is a cat catastrophic disaster. 
it has... Do something about it then. Why, why are you complaining about it? Why don't you do something about it right? instead of complaining? It's... But Dan obviously doesn't know that I'm actually the leader of a rival political party and stand against the Labour Party in the, in the elections. And George, do you know something else? You're not going to sing again, I... are you? For the last time you spoke to me... You've actually got a great voice. Should President Biden A, resign, 40%, B, stay, 11%, C, convalesce in a senior home, 49%. And those figures are mirrored uh, almost entirely on YouTube and on Telegram. Uh, so keep voting. You've got till 9 o'clock. Let me take some more calls. Rose is in Philadelphia. How could I resist? Rose, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on again. Nice I to hope hear you from had you. a nice birthday. Yeah. Nice I hope you had a nice birthday last week. Oh, how kind. Thank um, you. Yes. Um, okay, so three important points I'd like to make, and I know you may have many callers this evening. Yeah. First and foremost, uh, it's related to your previous caller about the refugee crisis. 100% there is a homelessness, poverty crisis in the UK, as there is here in my country, the United States. And we need to demand uh, equality and housing and fair wages for all those people, our refugees, our citizens, and so on. It is proven time and time again that if there is trillions of dollars available, for decades of war across the earth, not just Afghanistan, across yeah. the earth, yeah. then there's plenty of money to house people. Um, but of course, uh, there wouldn't be such a huge refugee crisis if, as you say, the American and UK and all those governments start proactively working with the Taliban because you just have no choice. But they'd rather not. They'd rather hide behind the reason of, oh, woman's oppression rather than actually doing something about it. But they're more than happy to continue dealing with Saudi Arabia. Second point is that uh, I hope people have kept up uh, watching what is going on in the Kabul airport. There's still thousands of uh, Afghans just squatting there, sleeping on trash and cardboard and in the cold. And the American and NATO soldiers even had the gall to feed them pork because they had nothing. I, I cannot even describe my disgust. My third point, uh, so keep uh, following that, and my third point is that we cannot forget that the Afghan president is hiding in the UAE with the royal family there, or as I call them, the butchers of Yemen, who are planning, as we speak, God knows what else to destroy Afghanistan even further for their own greedy motives. Well, uh, not only is he sheltering in the UAE, uh, he's, uh, he's lying under uh, a bed of $169 million that he stole from Afghanistan. That was your money, by the way, and ours. Uh, he didn't get that from anybody except us, the occupiers of Afghanistan. Uh, so he left not just like a thief in the night, 
He literally is a thief that left in the night. Absolutely, he is. He is a thief, and it was, he's a protected thief. He was a created thief. He was put there and placed there by the American and NATO forces. He was controllable. This is a simple hiccup in the plan. Uh, behind the scenes, the Americans and the NATO allies are still working on how to get the control back of Afghanistan because of its God-given wealth and geostrategic uh, position. And the Afghan people are still far away from true self-determination so long sure. as the imperial powers. Sure. I, I, yeah. I don't think uh, the U.S. will be getting back in control of Afghanistan anytime soon. Rose, you're such a wonderful caller. Thank you very much for making that outstanding call. David Otnas says, Sad it is that this show veers off into the mundane world of celebrity, a Jerry Springer element, when so many larger issues go unattended. A few weeks ago it was Britney, now R. Kelly. Bye-bye, David. You are now banned from watching this show. Uh, Paul Nodalo says, George has got excellent taste in English tea. In fact, it's rooibos tea in a Yorkshire tea cup. It's South African. Sean Davis says, Blair is more of a leader than Johnson. And Jay Trader 3000 said, anyone that participated in Afghanistan should take refugees. And Jonky Ingliski, wonder if that's his real name, says, Afghanistan, another Sharia-based regime in the Middle East whose seeds were planted by the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, nurtured with Western guns and opium money, hoping to turn the East into addicts. And Sick Note Sid says, Collaborating with an invading army is always wrong. Even when your own government sucks, they are reaping what they've sown. He's a hard man, a sick note said, I must say. A.J. Atkinson Art says 30 billion spent on Project Moonflop. MOD budget cuts. How much will be spent on vetting programs for these refugees? A very good point. How are we going to ensure... Uh, that uh, coming in along with the uh, refugees who wish us no harm uh, might be one or two who do. Kenny in Acton is on the line in London about killing Kelly and Afghanistan. Kenny, welcome. Hi, George. Thanks for taking my call. I'd like to first congratulate you for making such a, a great documentary. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, thank you very much. There it is there. You can get the DVD now from my shop. You've obviously seen it, uh, uh, Kenny. Yeah. Uh, but there's the uh, video, vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash killing Kelly. That's to rent or buy on uh, online. Uh, there are screenings coming up in Leicester on 9-11, in, uh, in South London, in Manchester. And of course, you can now buy the DVD, signed DVD from me. That's a picture of it there. Sorry, Kenny, go ahead. Yeah, it was from Vimeo that I, I purchased it. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, I'd just like to talk about the situation in Afghanistan. Earlier on, you used the analogy of the captain of the Titanic ship. Mm. Now, what Joe Biden has done is absolutely cowardly, because if you can imagine, imagine the, ca the captain of the Titanic ship getting him and all his crew onto the lifeboats before the women and children yeah. as the ship's gone down. Yeah. That's effectively what Biden's done. Yeah, and he's it's a good point. the world's yeah. biggest hostage situation as well. It could, turn, it, could, uh, yeah, it could well turn into that. If, uh, I reckon there's about between 10 and 40,000 American citizens trapped in Afghanistan and the Taliban are blocking access to Kabul airport. It's a, the biggest humiliation since... Well, well since, since, time, Vietnam. Maybe, since Vietnam. Since maybe yeah. Vietnam. Maybe bigger than Vietnam, Kenny. Uh -huh. And I was watching the, the speech last night by my hero, Donald Trump. Aha, you he's your he hero. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When he was president, now this withdrawal deal that he'd done with the Taliban, he said to them, now, you've seen what I've done to uh, Soleimani in Iran, didn't you? If any harm comes to any U.S. citizen or soldiers in Afghanistan, I will do the exact same to you. And then he asked them, the Taliban leader, do you understand me? And the Taliban leader says, yes, yes, okay. And then Donald Trump says, okay, now we're ready to negotiate. And they were going to, America was going to be able to withdraw but still maintain air support for the Afghan army to hold position and make sure it was a, a peaceful withdrawal, not a chaotic thing like what Joe Biden's just created. It's an absolute mess. And do you know what's going to, you know what's going to have to happen, George, don't you? Tell me. We're, well, unfortunately, I think the NATO and American forces are probably after going to go back into Afghanistan at some point. And if it's not under Joe Biden's watch, when Donald Trump gets re-elected in 2024, he'll go back into Afghanistan, all right? Well, good luck to them. Uh, the Afghans have uh, shown that nobody can defeat them. And that'll be the same for Donald Trump's army as it was for Alexander the Great's. Uh, not something I expected you to say, Kenny, in Acton but I'm grateful for your call. Let's go to Sydney, Australia, where Michael is, and he wants to talk about Afghanistan too. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, yeah. hi, George. Hi. Um, look, I don't think the situation is as dire as everyone is saying it is at the moment. There's a lot of reason to be hopeful. Um, this will re re resolve itself relatively peacefully. Um, you know, the Taliban is cooperating with the international community, especially their neighbours like Iran, Pakistan, China and Russia. Um, they they realise that they don't want to become invaded by the, you know, sort of China and Russia together with Iran. I mean, like, I think they would stand a good chance. Those three armies are probably defeating the Taliban in the long run. I don't think Pakistan would really enter on their side because they're very, they, they, they need China against India. Um, you know, Russia's good allies with India. Um, so there's sort of a balance of power there. Um, the, the Taliban is sort of cooperating. Um, you know, the, the bloodletting has been relatively Well, in what way are they past. cooperating, uh, Michael? Why is it taking... Well, why are some aircraft leaving Kabul airport virtually empty? Why are so few of them leaving at all? Why are so few of the Americans even in the airport to be airlifted? Well, if you look at it, George, the Americans have been shooting people who try to get into the airport too. That incident a few times where people have rushed the planes. The Americans have opened fire on the, on the people who have tried to get to the planes. 
Um, so America has also killed civilians um, trying to prevent uh, um, people entering the airport. Um, you know, so I mean, it's not the Taliban isn't alone. The Taliban hasn't killed anyone trying to enter the airport except for one person that I've heard of so far, um, who, who may have been someone rather significant in the American cooperation efforts. Um, so yeah, I mean, like other than that, I've only I've only heard of American soldiers opening fire on people trying to get into the airport. Or yeah, even but in the, the airport. but the, there must be a reason why thousands and thousands of American citizens have not even well, yet made it to the airport. Do, do you think if um, you said there's forty thousand people waiting outside the airport, do you think if they rushed onto the tarmac, there'd be any, any place to land the planes? The Americans would probably have been firing them first before the Taliban did. Um, and secondly, I mean, like, the Taliban is cooperating with um, the UN. They're living in international aid. Uh, they've said they're let the UN in to provide aid and, and set up refugee camps and food and shelter for people in Kabul. Um, so, I mean, I understand, like, it, it isn't over yet. But what I'm saying is the early signs aren't as dire as everyone's saying. And, and, and really, as far, um, as far as civilian casualties go at the airport, so far it's been the Americans who've killed the majority of them. Okay, Michael, thanks for that call. Tarek is in London. Go ahead, Tarek. Oh, hello, George. Um, I just wanted to add a couple of uh, my thoughts to the discussion going on about the um, whether Taliban can be trusted in their uh, behavior and the way they are, what, what they're exhibiting right now, being um, nice and decent, and whether one could trust them with that or not. Um, I think what's, what has been going on has been very positive. And uh, there has been a lot of provocation um, uh, targeted at the Taliban by uh, women demonstrators and, um, and a lot of other people who are bringing their flags out, saying that this was their national flag. I mean, just to highlight a small um, a nuance of history is that Afghanistan has had more than a dozen flags over the last hundred years. Every new regime that comes in brings their own flag on. So there is no such thing as one flag that has always been out there. The current flag was literally put together after 2001, although there was a hodgepodge of few previous flags. So they have, they have put up with a lot of uh, provocation, um, and yet they have not retaliated. And some suggestion was made that whether Taliban are going to go into Panjshir Valley, which is the last bastion of the um, warlords that have come together, they were part of the previous government. Um, Taliban has categorically said that they, um, Panjshiris are all Afghans, and they are really waiting for the Panjshiri people to make a decision and come forward and, and talk to Taliban. Um, and and the Abdullah Abdullah, who was the uh, part of the previous government, the second most serious per, senior person in the previous government, um, is in fact working with the Taliban. Uh, the previous uh, ex-president, ex Karzai, is working with the Taliban. So there are a lot of positives coming in. And finally, the main reason why the Americans lost in Afghanistan is the fact that they had partied up with a very corrupt government. And it was not that they lost militarily. They lost on the governance side of the tank. Americans had enough firepower to lay waste of the Afghan hinterland. But it wasn't about that. It was about providing a viable alternative government, which they could not because they could not go down in, on the ground and start governing Afghanistan. The Afghans had to do that. Uh, in this country, a person is deemed to be adult after 17, 18 years of age. Afghans had 20 years of um, this, this umbilical cord was attached to them. They have been given all sorts of aids and money and everything. The Afghan government did not grow up in 20 years. I, I think we should really stop blaming the Americans. I'm not saying that they're totally innocent of all blame, but not as much as much the Afghan government themselves are to be blamed. Can you tell me in a nutshell 
What do you think is going to happen in the Panjir Valley? Uh, the Taliban, I spoke to Taliban commanders and they said that the people in, uh, our delegation of the Panjir Valley has in fact met with the Abdullah Abdullah and Karzai. And they must have made some demands for them to take back to the Panjshir Valley. Ahmed Masood, who is graduate of King's College London, I hope he would take sense and he would not come to, he would not allow the, the, the situation to get to the point where he would, um, there would be an active war between the uh, Panjshiri um, militia and the Taliban. Um, in return, Taliban can offer him a good position in government, and that's what the negotiations are going on right now. Where the Taliban very are, interesting. Taliban are, He's a graduate of King's College London. How very interesting. From the makers of Track and Trace comes the Boris Johnson sat-nav. Right, uh, next right. Uh, no, left. Uh, I, I mean left. Uh, what? Yes, I, yes, no, this left. Oh, cracky, you've missed it, bugger. Um, oh, bloody Tories. Or, or have you? Uh, uh, turn around. Or, in fact, don't turn around. Carry on. Yes. Ah! <laughs> Arrived at your destination. Now I've just had a big row from my wife about being rude to David Odness. David, I, I recant. I, I, I resile. I, I take back my ban. Uh, we are a show that deals with politics and culture. R. Kelly is a big cultural figure. He's on trial in the United States. It's a very big story in the United States. That's why we briefly covered it. There's more to politics, you know, than merely elections and things. Now, uh, an old friend of mine for a very long time, blimey, must be half a century nearly, I'm not joking, uh, is the Right Honourable Brian Wilson, CBE, uh, former parliamentarian, former minister, and like me, an inveterate opponent of separatism in Scotland, and therefore uh, the latest incarnation of separatism in Scotland, which is the, uh, the alliance, coalition actually, that has been founded uh, between uh, the SNP and the Greens. Now, I know a lot of you out there are quite green people. I'm not that green myself, but I know that it is the zeitgeist. But you see, the thing is, the Scottish Greens are much more interested in almost anything except the environment. They're fiddling with pronouns and fiddling with separatism far more often than their green fingers are in uh, the green house. That's my take anyway. Let's hear uh, what Brian's is. Brian Wilson, thank you for uh, joining us. I'm right, I'm and I. They're, they're not that green, the Scottish Greens. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I think this is a very odd marriage of convenience. Uh, and the, it's all about um, independence. And the people I kind of feel sorry for are there's plenty of Greens in Scotland who presumably are motivated by green issues, uh, environmental issues, but they seem to have been left behind uh, because actually the, the policy of separatism, you know, of, of putting a border across a small island um, is the antithesis of um, many environmental objectives. It doesn't make any sense from an environmental point of view, but the... the um, the, the, the Scottish Greens, who I don't think actually the 
UK-wide greens want an awful lot to do with um, really subsist or through the electoral system in Scotland and getting second SNP votes. So it, it's really elected as a sort of um, subsidiary nationalist party uh, with a few green bits and bobs around the edges. Um, but they, they are much more interested uh, at present in, for instance, transgenderism um, than, than in, um, you know, the, 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 the more familiar green objectives. And that, that, it makes for a very odd mix. Yeah, I mean, let's deal with the electoral system that produces them. They got uh, 1.7, I think, percent of the vote in the constituencies. Uh, but, of course, they got elected because SNP voters, as you say, gave them their second vote. Does this not further discredit uh, the electoral system we have in Scotland? Well, it, it's always been open to this kind of um, of, of abuse or, or playing the system. Depends how you you look at it. Um, but the, the the fact is that nobody, almost nobody in Scotland, voted for this government that now exists, complete with green ministers. Um, you know, the vast majority of people who voted SNP certainly didn't um, give their second votes to the Greens, even. Uh, and those who did give their votes to the Greens didn't necessarily think they were voting for separatism. So it, it's a, you know, it's 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 purely it's an elitist uh, alliance, um, which I, I'm reasonably hopeful will backfire on both of them, which would be a, a very happy conclusion. Indeed. Now their first pronunciamento was that now uh, Boris Johnson couldn't possibly deny them. Yet another referendum, just seven years after they had the last one. But that's uh, arithmetic, uh, electoral and political nonsense. Well, it's complete nonsense. I mean, nothing has changed because the, the, the SNP had the Greens in their pockets anyway. Um, so formalising that arrangement changes absolutely uh, nothing. And the, the, the difficulty for uh, people who do want another referendum is that the Scottish Parliament does not have the power to, to, to hold it. So, you know, while every other issue in the world is evolving and while, you know, Scotland's obvious needs uh, are, are ever-present, um, they're going to spend the next three, three or four years arguing about a referendum that they can't hold, uh, you know, until they get to the, the glorious day when they're denied one and then you've got another grievance to feed upon, you know. So it's, I mean, it's playground politics at one level, but it's very destructive politics at another because there is so much else they could be doing with the powers that they hold. But of course, if they use the powers that they hold effectively, then they destroy their own case for, for separatism. We, we know what's in it for the Greens. Uh, they get a ministerial, I don't know what they get, bicycles or, or, or uh, Priuses, hybrids or whatever they get. Uh, but what's in it for the SNP? Well, I find that one quite difficult to work out because they, to all intents and purposes, they have their majority because they, 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 they have the support of the Greens. I mean, they, you know, the Greens every year vote for an SNP budget, which incidentally, among other things, has absolutely devastated uh, local government finance. And if you ask most people in um, living in the poorer parts of Scotland, you know, what, what their environmental concern is, their greatest environmental concern is the environment they live in. And every time you cut council budgets, which the SNP with green support have done year after year after year, um, then you know that's the environmental issue 
that affects most um, most people. So they they have the greens in their pocket. Why they want to formalise it? Why they want to create green ministers? I suppose on a superficial level, it's it, it's you know it's just maybe another bit of virtue signalling, particularly in the run up to. COP26 in Glasgow can say we, you know, we are the first. They always like to be the first to have done this, um, but I think they've probably created something of a rod for their own back because I, I, I'm just I'm not sure that um, you know that they, they are, they are Teflon proof on, on many things, but I'm not sure that a lot of people who voted of them will much fancy seeing these two particular individuals strutting about as newly created minister on the basis of virtually nobody having voted for them. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, uh, they are an odd couple, to be sure. Um, it looked for a little while uh, that the series of scandals and, and debacles uh, in which the SNP was embroiled, I literally don't have enough time to adumbrate them here, uh, but the fact that the police were in to the SNP headquarters looking for £600,000, the fact that the husband of Nicola Sturgeon, the chief minister, has effectively gone missing, uh, hasn't been seen since the election in May, one thought that perhaps uh, events were closing in on them. But she looked pretty chipper in announcing this uh, coalition. Is that just bluster or have they found their feet again, do you think? I think it's um, it, you know what you see is what you get. That I mean that that uh, you know I think uh, Nicola Sturgeon is a very glib politician. I, th I think she's a very superficial one, but she's certainly you know normally strategically adroit. So we, with this circus of um, in Butte House, you know it looked like a sort of presidential visit of these two uh, non-entities really um, flanking her and being introduced to the world as the. Uh, the, the the new partners in 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 co coalition, um, I suppose there's a market for it. That she, there's obviously a market for her brand and her type of politics, but you're really talking a few percent either way uh, about whether that um, you, you know that gives them the kind of majority. You know, there's probably a hardcore a third of Scottish voters now who are absolutely uninterested in any economic argument or political argument really it's it's a completely one-dimensional politics um but I, I do think there's a kind of 20 percent who you know who are still looking at this and saying hey what, what is going on here and um you know what what are they actually going to do you know what what is what have they what have the greens got out of this what policies are we, are, are going to emerge from this uh, which will threaten people's jobs will threaten investment in infrastructure and so on i mean you in the week george when you have this incredible deficit, you know, £36 billion difference between what Scotland raises in taxes and what was spent. And they say, oh, no, that won't be a problem under independence because we will have economic growth. And it, in, literally in the same week, they, they, they sign up to uh, with a party who, whose whole mantra is that economic growth is the devil incarnate and the root of all evil. Um, and the last thing they want is economic growth. So, you know, there is no logic, there is no rationale to it. Um, but, you know, you know Scotland as well as I know Scotland, and uh, there's a market for it. Yes, I think you've got the numbers right. A, a, <clears throat> a third uh, of the people are uh, inveterate and hooked, uh, but a third does not a majority make. Uh, if we had more time, we could uh, sketch out some of the ways that this 
uh, has to be handled. But for the, for the last question, really, uh, I'd need to ask that our old, I won't call him a friend, but our old colleague in Parliament, and he's been around in the Labour movement uh, even longer than you and I uh, were. He was an, an Ayrshire MP when I first uh, joined the Labour Party in 1973, or first became full-time in it, at least. Uh, Jim Sillars, the former deputy leader of the SNP, has written a pretty devastating book attacking national, the Scottish Nationalist Party. Have you had the chance to look at it? I've only seen the reviews. No, but uh, unusually I will. Uh, I don't read many books about Scottish politics. I've living among them for too long. But I will read Sillers because I think he is a, a figure of substance. Uh, and he's made his particular journey into support for independence. But on everything else, and in this critique, you know, I, th I think it's really interesting because what he, he you know, in what he's saying essentially, look, if you want to persuade people, go out and use the powers you have, do, do things well, show an example, tell them, you know, that, that if you move in this direction, things really can be different. There can be real social and economic change. But of course, what he then says is that what they do is the exact opposite of that. They're not interested in any of that agenda. So everything is about grievance. Everything is about division. And what Jim is saying is that's the wrong way and it's never going to persuade anyone. And of course, he's absolutely right. And all it does is polarise. It, it, it deepens the division. And it creates this in, you know, intractable sort of no man's land in which nothing happens, nothing progressive happens in Scotland because all they're interested in is the constitution and the way they know they can rally their own troops is by feeding grievance. As he says, there's nobody sitting in Whitehall saying, how can we do down Scotland? But the whole SNP sturgeon mantra is that everyone in Whitehall is sitting saying, how can we do down, down Scotland? Well, far and from uh, doing down, uh, each Scottish person is in receipt of now considerably over £2,000 a year more yeah. than our fellow citizens in, well, Batley, uh, where I'm going tomorrow, to, to name but one. Poor English people are getting more than 2000 a year less spent on them than is spent on us in Scotland. Some doing down, that is. Yeah. But... You know, you, that argument's been around for a long time and, and, and you know, denial and, I must say, a pretty supine media eh, allows it to, to persist. Um, and and the, the answer, as I say this week, the answer when these historically um, bad figures came out, or if, if you look at it in that way, um, you know, the differential was, was so wide between what we raise in taxes and what is spent in Scotland that their answer to it is, well, if only we had all the levers of economic power, there would be this growth and that all, all that would be wished away. Now, no rational person believes a word of it. Um, no econom economist believes a word of it. But there's a market out there which... Um, just really isn't interested in, in the arguments. And that is what nationalism does. Um, but, but, but every, uh, you know, every argument has to feed into the same conclusion. Every statistic has to be start, distorted towards the same end. And that's what we've lived with in Scotland for, for a long time now. Brian Wilson, thanks for joining us. That's you and me both buying Jim Siller's book. He'll yes. be surprised to hear it in, on both counts. Thanks for joining us. Let's take a, a call from Malcolm in Edinburgh. Go ahead, Malcolm. 
George, thanks for taking my call. Just to follow up on that last uh, uh, chat you had there, which I found very interesting, I dropped some, uh, I put my better weight during lockdown and I dropped into my seamstress to get some, you know, some alterations on my clothes. And I said, oh, how is lockdown for you and whatever? And she said, well, these cycle lanes and these spaces for people to walk, she says, have taken about 13 car park spaces outside my shop and yeah. businesses down dramatically. So that's a real world consequence. And Part of me, I do not, I'm not a fan of the SNP, but part of me wishes that they've had the majority, because they're going to push for it anyway, without having to cater for all this, you know, green, we're all for saving the planet, but within, you know, within reason. So there's a real life businesswoman who's trying to make a living, and these bollards and these walking spaces are ruining Edinburgh and ruining shopkeepers' existence. So... I'm, you know, I'm a bit disgusted about that. I've got a theory, though, George, and I think the reason why Boris is going so green at the moment is because he sees what's going to come out of Scotland with this association, and he's trying to gazump them. You know, we'll be carbon neutral by tomorrow lunchtime, the lying thing that he is. <laughs> you know what I mean, it, it, it's a political game. And, and, but the, the point I'd like to touch on with you, George, and maybe you can explain to your audience, is that uh, with Scotland now allowing four-year-olds to... Uh, choose their own gender identity at school without telling their parents. And I'd, I'd like to put into a quick context whereby I was walking my dog this morning and I met a wonderful lady from Lithuania who lives in Manchester and she was exploring Scotland for the first time. She had a five-year-old daughter who was playing with my dog. She was barking like a dog, meowing like a cat and playing with a dog. And I said to her, I said, a year ago, your child could have been in school in Scotland and she can, she can choose her own pronouns. She's not going to know what an adjective or a verb is for many years to come. So who's going to put that in our mind? And the fact that Scotland is going down this identity disaster role that I don't think 1% of the population can agree that a four-year-old is able to change from Martha to Arthur or from Arthur to Martha. And the school teacher is not going to tell the parents. They're well, that's the unkindest cut of all, that the school will keep it a secret from the parent. And correct me if I'm wrong, George, did Scotland not try to pass a law whereby you had some independent person overseeing parenthood in the yeah. European court? The right name, named person. Uh, but it, uh, you're right, it was uh, uh, struck down by the uh, ECHR uh, commitments by the European Court on Human Rights. Uh, I'm going on a demonstration in Edinburgh uh, against this, this monstrous regimen uh, outside uh, Holyrood. I, I don't know exactly when, but it's next month. Uh, I'll give you the dates uh, when I get them. Uh, we will not put up with this. I have written to uh, many people, including the schools of my own children, uh, the leaders of, uh, of my church, uh, I, I simply will not put up with this any longer. I wish we had time to discuss it more, Malcolm, but we don't. Uh, but I promise you it's a subject to which we shall return. Thank you for that very articulate call. Jeff is in Ipswich. Go ahead, Jeff. Hiya, George. It's great to speak to you. And uh, you, I was up in Batley, and we were treated very well. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. I'm going to Batley tomorrow. And we've got a public uh, meeting, I think, on the 14th uh, of September. Uh, That's beautiful. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've heard about the, um, uh, the union uh, 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 weekend that you're having on the 18th, 19th. Yes. In Birmingham. Yes, and that's right. 
I was thinking about that. Was like, actually, I'm not going to talk about anything left or right, if you don't mind. No, go I'm ahead. just going to say something that no one is talking about at all, and um, it, it's the films that the Navy has picked up, uh, the American Navy, and films and images released by the Pentagon, which actually... Um, uh, they don't know what they look like and they don't know what they are. They certainly don't seem to be things that uh, are of this world. And it's, um, it, we it's, did actually, we, we did, Jeff. Uh, we had an expert on uh, when these pictures were first released. You can look it up on, on, on YouTube. It would be about maybe five, five weeks ago, something of that order. Uh, it's a subject I'm interested in myself everything relating to space and astronomy and the possibility of life on Mars uh, is of great uh, interest to me. It, so we, it, it we, would, we it do. It would be the best thing. It would be the best thing if we could actually get uh, access to maybe their technology. And, well, and you wonder if they, if, they, if they are always hanging around where our nuclear bombs are and if they seem to be turning off our bombs, then... Um, uh, maybe they're trying to tell us something. If we Indeed. if we put on if if we put our bombs away, then maybe they would speak to us. You know, that's a very um, good line. Thank you for that, Jeff. Andrew's in Birmingham. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Andrew. Hello. Hi. Hi, George. Forgive me. I'm really, really nervous. I've never done anything like this before. All right. Take your time. I'm very gentle, uh, really. You are. <laughs> How are you tonight? By the grace of God, I'm good, thank you. What would you like to say? Um, I know we've sort of changed the topic now, but it's regarding the um, the Afghanistan issue. Yeah, sure. Like, at, the, at the risk of saying what probably everyone, bar a few knuckle-dragging morons, have like, said in the past, we should never have been there in the first place. That was an illegal war. Mm -hmm. like, um, my, one of my closest friends is Afghani. Um, he lost... He lost um, a brother, his auntie. Um, I think he lost a couple of cousins and stuff. Right, and seeing him, I mean, he he, he was lucky. He he was able to um, come over to Britain. I mean, I mean I'm 34 um, now, but like he was able. So to you come were over you were Britain. 14 when this all started. Yeah, yeah, and I'd never known. I'd never really known anything about war or anything like that. But like. Seeing this dude, like, like my friend, like come into school one day, his face looked like, how do I put it, devoid of like anything. He looked um, just blank. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't say his name, um, but I was like, hey, dude, um, what's wrong, man? And he opened up to me, and I was like, gee. Like, then I realized what, 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 this, what this phony war was all about. Well said. Well said, Andrew. Uh, I need to hurry on only because of the hour. Uh, don't be a stranger. Call us anytime. Robert is in London. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, we forgot about Gigi. Uh, this is Robert again. It is, I'll try to be quick as possible. Please. Uh, basically, it's to do with the climate change. Climate change, these days, the scientists don't know anything that's happening. They, they, they're sitting in their universities and their, their, their bunkers going bonkered what happened on the climate change it is a it is a real it is a real that it is a climate change yes and it is it is very important that we human beings we maintain our waste like a plastic bag and plastic bottles 
We train in the seas and stuff. We need to control it. But sure. the climate change is nothing to do with the man. It's from the sun. The sun level of the sun heat, it has rise by 7 degrees everywhere. If it is a 40 degree in Britain, in Europe, for example, it's a 40 degree. Now it's a 40, 47 degree. Australia, some places is 60 degree. It is now 67 degree. America, some places is 60 degree. It's now 67 degree. Egypt, Africa, certain places is 60, some places is 50 degree. It's all rise by 7 degree. It is a, the, 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 the sun, it is, a, it is the cloud that protecting the sun, the, the heat of the sun to to, 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 to hit the head, to earth that they, how do you call it, extremely. And this day, there are certain clouds that has removed that, 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 that causing the, the, the earth to, to heat on that level. Okay, so Robert, uh, we, don't, we don't have uh, time to go further into that uh, because this is the last call coming up from Jalau in Manchester. Go ahead, Jalau. Hi, George. Um, George, if memory serves me correct, did the, the NAM non-aligned movement um, take George Bush to court? Uh, and if so, not that I know of. I don't see where you could, you see. The U.S. is not in the ICC, uh, deliberately well, so. So I'm not sure only, where, except in the U.S., you could take them to court. But even still, even if, say, they were taking to court all these generals, uh, Blair, Bush, the whole caboot, the whole lot of them, if there was a court case held, it, the only reason why they get on and do whatever they're doing is because they've got no comeuppance. There's no uh, restrictions on how much money they can spend, unlimited amounts of money. And this is the only reason, in my opinion, as to why uh, they do what they do and will carry on doing what they're doing. Well, uh, it's a great, uh, a great call, Jalal. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time, so let me respond to it. Um, that is uh, one of the reasons why they do what they do. Uh, they sting because, uh, like a scorpion, that's what they do. Uh, it's in their uh, political genetics uh, that imperialist countries will behave like imperialist countries until we win a majority of people uh, for a different kind of country, for a different kind of politics, a different kind of government, we run the risk of this happening over and over again. Uh, we have a media, uh, present company accepted, uh, which facilitates it, which uh, colludes with it and facilitates it and, and propagandizes for uh, these imperial adventures. Uh, they marched them into war and they're crying loudly now that the US at least is marching out of at least one war in Afghanistan. So we have a lot of things to change. Uh, but the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And that's what we here on the mother of all talk shows are trying to do. Here's some reviews on our podcast. Really, I cannot stress enough to you. Get the Moats podcast. Please, uh, download it from wherever you normally get your podcasts. Uh, this is from Tokyo, right? It articulately says the truth that no one else has the cojones to. It's a great fusion, that, of Japan and the Spanish language. 
I love that very much from Tokyo. And thank you, you are a blessing. Your truthful, intelligent conversation of facts on current events are so highly needed. Your voice and the truth you bring is a blessing. I've listened over years to your speeches, interviews, conversations, and so on. And now this wonderful podcast. Thank you very much indeed for that. So the podcast is the next thing you have to do. The second thing you have to do is please don't leave me with a pile of these. We've got a living room filled with these and my good wife with her own hand stuffs them in the envelopes and carries them to the post. Thank you very much for being here. I hope you'll be here again next week. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.